0: Parents have questions about the COVID vaccine for their children. Hello and welcome to Sundial on WLRN, I'm Luis Hernandez. Today we'll talk with a pediatrician to find some of those answers, and you could post your question to us on Facebook at WLRN Sundial. Also, people who drive along to I-395 in downtown Miami are feeling the squeeze from all that construction. But when it's over, we'll have a flashy signature bridge. But what's going under the bridge is another story. We'll talk with folks about plans for the under-deck, a new public space under the freeway. And finally, in the Keys, pet owners know the name Douglas Mater. he was basically one of the few veterinarians for miles. He's retired now and we're going to talk to him about his life taking care of animals. All of that today on Sundial, after the news. The program is made possible in part by support from Miami Cancer Institute. Hello and welcome to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Luis Hernandez. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, children under five years old are now eligible for a COVID-19 vaccine. Florida missed the initial deadline to pre-order those doses for kids. However, providers like family doctors and retail pharmacies have ordered some vaccines. Kids in that age group in South Florida have already started getting their doses, but demand is still low. And some doctors say that A bulk of those vaccines are going to waste. Dr. Bratton Chitani joins us now to discuss what to know and the information to consider if you're on the fence. I know a lot of parents are. He's a pediatric infectious disease specialist at the Holtz Children's Hospital at the University of Miami's Jackson Memorial Medical Center. Dr. Chitani, it's great to have you back. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You know, when we're talking about this new age group that now has access to the vaccine, we're talking six months to five years old. Who should be getting the vaccination in that group?
1: From six months to five years old, any that are available, uh, we see that COVID has been affecting har- the hardest those that have underlying lung disease, cardiac disease, or those that are un- immunized. So it's recommended for all of them.
0: The CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend the vaccine, uh, but Florida State Health Department is not for healthy children. And that can be confusing to parents and caregivers. How do we process this contrast of information?
1: there is a lot of information out there, and it can be very confusing. I, I always recommend if the information out there doesn't seem congruent or doesn't seem in parallel with what you know, ask, ask your pediatrician. I think it's important for our parents and caregivers to be having these difficult conversations with their pediatrician who is up to date on that. And if the pediatrician's unsure, they refer to people like me, who study this day in and day out.
0: I'm sure that you've heard this. Um, You know, I mean, we learned from COVID that kids have less probability of developing severe symptoms. And so people will question what's the difference, uh, you know, what the difference is the vaccine is actually going to make for kids. What do you tell parents when you hear that question?
1: You know, I tell parents, first I start off that I'm a parent myself. I have two kids. And probability as it is, if my kid were, I think through, if my kid were to get COVID and have some of the serious symptoms that I see in the hospital, but I could have prevented it, how would I feel in that moment? And so taking that into context, yes, the the rate is different among children, but not to say it doesn't happen and it can be very severe where your child requires intubation be placed on a a breathing machine it can cause high-grade fevers where they're in the hospital for days it's it's a serious thing to take into consideration and since we have something to prevent it we should do it
0: are there any allergies specific conditions that could uh, that could mean that they should opt out of the vaccine or, you know, discuss with a pediatrician before getting the shot?
1: For sure. So there there are ingredients that are listed by the FDA for each of these vaccines. And it would be good if you have a child that has allergies uh, to review with your pediatrician to make sure none of those allergies are of concern uh, with the ingredients of each of the vaccines.
0: Any Any side effects that parents and guardians should be aware of?
1: The typical stuff, uh, reading from the two clinical trials that were done, the several clinical trials that have been done, uh, the primary side effects to look for are low-grade fever, maybe some fatigue, some decreased appetite for a day or two, and then after they're fine.
0: Is the vaccine with children, is it the same as with adults? Are the vaccines helping to prevent the spread of COVID or just protecting that patient?
1: The main thing that these vaccines have been able to do and continue to do, even with the various variants that have come out with COVID, uh, is prevent serious illness, hospitalization, and death. Those three things. Yes, in some ways, it does reduce the, the spread of the virus and decrease the chances of being infected. But ultimately, when we're looking at those high percentages, high efficacy, it's with Affecting those three things hospitalization, severe illness,
0: and death. I'm speaking with Dr. Brandon Chitani. He's a, pedi- a pediatrician at the Holtz Children's Hospital at the University of Miami's Jackson Memorial Medical Center. Jackson Health System and U Health are offering COVID-19 vaccines to children six months and older, and they have a pediatric mobile clinic in rotating lo- uh, ro- locations throughout Miami-Dade County. Tomorrow, they're going to be at the Alamo Park at Jackson Memorial Hospital from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you can find all this information, by the way, it's on our social media at WLRN Sundial. Um Doctor, what's the difference between these vaccines, uh, the vaccines for children and and the ones for adults, especially when it comes to how much they're getting the doses?
1: So a few differences to keep in mind. The amount of the vaccine that's within the the syringe and how many doses in total that is being recommended. So for Pfizer, for example, an adult will receive 30 micrograms of the vaccine. Whereas a child, an infant that's six months, it's only recommended for three micrograms. We're talking about a 10th of the total amount of vaccine that's being given to them. On the flip side, we still need to have a good response So the recommendation is three doses that is is in a series. There are plenty of other vaccines that we give in a series very similarly. The Moderna is two doses, but it does follow a very similar schema of how much. It's much less.
0: I want to go back to the potential side effects for the vaccines. When is it the usual side effects, and when might it be something more serious that parents need to act on?
1: So the most serious side effect that is out that is out there with any vaccine is anaphylaxis, where you have a severe allergic reaction. That will be rather uh, immediate uh, or within a couple hours. Uh, the other side effects of fever, tiredness, uh, and decreased appetite happen for in the next day or two. Uh, and but if it goes beyond those two days, you should talk with your pediatrician.
0: You know, the vaccine rollout, as I mentioned at the beginning, at the beginning, especially access was not widespread. And I'm wondering if that's been fixed now, if it's as easily accessible. If you have parents coming and asking, what do you tell them about where where they can get it?
1: Uh, there are a number depending on where you live there are a number of different sites that are out there uh, as you had mentioned before the rollout uh, and and being able to order it didn't make it immediately available to all of our Florida providers but now it's orderable to everyone uh, so your provider should be able to have access to it to, to get it to you uh, if your provider doesn't then we have places like the the u- health, uh, mobile clinic that has it available for you.
0: So, I mean, you know, because the story obviously at the beginning was that Florida was the only state that didn't pre order these vaccines for children in this age group. Has that impacted your ability to access the vaccine or has that been resolved?
1: Uh, that's a, a great question. I, I personally, because I have access to the pediatric mobile clinic, I'm able to refer there. Uh, and have it done but i fear of how that's impacting our more rural uh, uh, communities that may not have access to such a service uh, and their primary provider hasn't ordered it or received the appropriate allotment Mm.
0: Uh, you know i know that some doctors have spoken out about supply being wasted uh they say that a lot of doses are being thrown away the state uh, isn't promoting the vaccine. Demand is low. I mean, in, in in your practice, are you seeing vaccine doses that go to waste?
1: In my personal practice? No, I haven't had uh, doses go to waste. Uh, but then again, I serve a very large tertiary care center. So there's a, a great deal of, of population for our center, but I can imagine
0: for other centers that may be the case. Are uninsured children able to get the shots without cost?
1: Uninsured children are able to get the, the vaccine without
0: a cost, yes. Okay. I wanted to know, and, and I think about when I was a little kid, and I remember having to get, you know, having to get vaccinated for other things. And obviously, as a little kid, the idea of a shot is scary. Um, and actually, I think I even remember as a little, little kid once getting a shot, I think I remember my mom trying to fool me, and then all of a sudden, needles poked into my body, and I am losing it on the table. I think the doctor needed a couple nurses to help because I was a a bit uh, feisty. But how how should parents talk with their kids about vaccines? I mean, here's another shot they have to get. How do you do it?
1: So it's going to be a lot about how you know how your kid reacts to those type of situations. You're right. I've seen the kids that freak out on the table or (laughs) kicking and screaming. I was that kid. (laughs) And you you know, some of those kids, if they just get a walkthrough of what's going to happen, then and they have that parent there at bedside, they they're able to to go get through it pretty well. There's some kids that it freaks them out more to tell them about everything that's gonna happen beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, I say, you know you know your kid best, you, you know how you're gonna walk through it with them, uh, monitoring and, and challenging your own like parental concern because that gets transmitted to kids very easily and they see you being scared, so then they're gonna be scared. Uh, but talking to them through of, okay, well, this is something that the doctor is asking us to do to make sure that you stay healthy. It's, it's going to have a small pinch and then we'll be good. And, you know, you can always tie it to some reward thereafter.
0: Well, you said you, I mean, you're a dad. So, I mean, I don't know how much you talk about work at home with your kids and all the things that you see and do, but uh, you know, I wondered, is that, is that the, you know, uh, your, your method of helping them prepare for what's coming?
1: Yeah, I'll talk them through of, okay, there's gonna be a slight pinch today. This is what's gonna happen. Uh, This is gonna make you healthier and stronger to fight the bad germs that are out there in the world. Uh, And, you know, they say, okay, we're gonna do it. They get a little teary eyed as the nurse comes in. And then, you know, I hold their hand and, and give them that love and support that they need in the moment, and they're fine after.
0: You better make that reward really, really special afterwards. That's all I'm telling (laughs) you. It better be something worth my time, my, my, my going through this. Do you ever get any questions from kids about vaccines? Like I'm wondering what they ask.
1: I've been asked like what's in it, uh, which is a little tough to, to describe to kids. Um, I've been asked.
0: I'm an adult. It's tough to tell me. I, explain to me <laughs> what's in this. I I don't always know. These now.
1: It's 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 an amazing science, quite honestly. Just the 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 way that this vaccine uses what we already have in our body to produce what we need our immune system to react is miles away from what we traditionally did with vaccines, which was just take a small piece of. A dead virus and inject enough of it into you to to allow your immune system to memorize and and react if it ever were to come in contact with it again. Uh, it's it's more sophisticated, and I think that sophistication has really allowed us to have a vaccine that's this effective and produce have produced it at, at such a great stage uh, to to be effective. I it's pretty remarkable
0: I'm wondering what you're seeing I know that we we kind of touched on this the last time that I talked to you is that you know there's this concern that parents have about just, not just COVID vaccines vaccines in general and but we also saw that you know with that concern now we're seeing some parents skipping shots that are important flu measles mumps etc what are you seeing right now
1: yeah we're seeing I mean I've, I've seen more chicken pox in the, the past couple of years than I have ever before, um, which is scary because I know on the heel end of that, we may see more measles or mumps, these diseases that you know I learned in medical school and residency, but you didn't really see that often. Uh, if ever, uh, I mean, you go find a medical student and ask them if they've ever seen one of these diseases, and they'd be like, oh, unless they personally have. Uh, uh, seen it. But now that the vaccine rates are going down, uh, we're going to see more of it. And, you know, you really have to think of, well, this is this is going to cause some harm. There are going to be children that die due to these diseases. That's why we developed the vaccines in the first place, because mm-hmm. they spread rapidly and they kill. That's, I think that's the, the point in blank for me that we gotta, we gotta get on board, and it's gonna require the the village to do it.
0: Mm. Uh, you know, let me finish with this. I, I wondered, are there gonna be any studies following kids right now who are getting the COVID vaccine, just so that we get a sense of are there any questions that are unanswered? These studies might help us.
1: Yeah, there'll be more studies about booster doses uh, for those younger age groups that we're talking about today. So those six months uh, through five to five years that that will be
0: all right looks like i i have a disconnect there but that's all right because... how long okay gotcha i i i apologize uh doctor there was a little disconnect there a little glitch uh at the end there so i don't know it, what what you said l the last couple sentences there what did you say
1: no just that it, it we're still learning about how long the immunity is going to last in these younger kids in the six months to to five years so we're going to study more about that and from that we will learn booster dosing yes no is it needed for these young children uh and then uh, we'll learn more about the post booster for five and up
0: great all right well listen dr uh, chitani always great to have you thank you so much for the insight and for the information and You know, we'll post that up there, too. For parents, if you've got questions, it's all right to have questions. We'll help you find those answers. Doctor, thanks again for everything.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Again, Dr. Brandon Chitani, a pediatrician at the Holtz Children's Hospital at the University of Miami's Jackson Memorial Medical Center. Find more information, by the way, on this links to where to get the vaccine, where they're available. It's on our social media at WLRN Sundial. Well, still to come, the I-395 construction is a pain. But when it's done, it'll provide two different communities with some common space. We'll explain. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Luis Hernandez. No matter where you live and commute to and from, if you've tried to take the I-395 to Miami Beach in the last several months, You've noticed all the construction near the Adrian R Center. You can't miss it. In a few years, that will be where Miami's new Signature Bridge begins. And if you haven't seen what those plans look like, it's big. Check it out on our social media, WLRN Sundial. But today we're not talking about the bridge. We're talking about more about what will be underneath it. The underdeck is a working title for a new park that will be built underneath the Signature Bridge. And that's what this story is really about, hoping that a park can be the bridge that brings two historically different communities together. The park is meant to connect Overtown to downtown Miami. Today, we have two members of the community that are part of the planning for this park. Dr. Nelson Adams is an OBGYN. He was born in Overtown, and he joins us now. Dr. Adams, great to have you.
2: Thank you so very much. So glad to be with you and look forward to the conversation.
0: Absolutely. Also joining us is Jessica goldman Shrebnik, is co-chair of the Goldman Properties and CEO Goldman Global Arts. She's also the lead curator behind the Winwood Walls. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank you very much for having us. I'm very excited.
0: You know, I, I, Jessica, I want to start with you. For people that just know they're commuting uh, in a whole lot of construction on I-395, I know I have to go through it every day, what, what's going on there above on the top? What, what is that exactly?
3: So, so I can promise you that good things are worth waiting for. And yes, it's going to be a little bit messy and a little bit challenging. But, you know, we have this opportunity to take 33 acres of underutilized space and activate it into a really beautiful, unifying, um, you know, piece of space that... Um, that allows for, you know, allows for inclusivity. I mean, you think about Central Park, you think about Millennium Park, you think about the underlying in New York City, you know, this is our generational project. And so as um, things adjust above, um, you know, above the, um, you know, the under underpiece, um, and then you'll and you'll have a large, you know, a large, beautiful signature bridge um, and some uh, additional lanes and much more cohesiveness to how we get on and off the of the highway um, underneath is really the opportunity. It's a really beautiful opportunity. So- and I think.
0: Yes. If I may, so that all right. So we know, and again, because I, we posted the picture up on our social media, you could see what this new bridge is going to look like. There'll be multiple layers, and it's supposed yes. to help traffic move more freely in a very congested area. But what you're Correct. telling me is that underneath this massive bridge, which is gonna, it's again going from the water to the connection of I ninety five, that underneath that you're going to recreate a space that's going to be we can call our central park is that what you're saying
3: correct i mean this is going to be a 1 mile linear green space that includes gardens and shaded areas and recreational spaces and open fields and dog parks and public art that that reflect our communities and you know and really you know if you recognize in major cities around the world public space is critical to engaging neighborhoods and unifying neighborhoods and giving people places to connect with one another. And this was a space that was totally underutilized and now it's getting raised. And so where you see underneath under, uh, you know, normally it was, there were 800 columns underneath, which, you know, and it, underneath it was also not well lit. It was di- it's dirty. It's dirty. And, and because and most,
0: so- most spaces under highways
3: yeah you know, they're ugly they're ugly
0: they're and sometimes right. <laughs> sometimes unfortunately you know you'll you'll have homeless encampments or other things there but what jessica why did you want to get involved in this
3: because i think this is a generational project i think that this is an incredibly important project for our city i think we can be a shining example around the country of what you can do with, you know, with underutilized space. And I think that, you know, and and Dr. Adams will speak to this. But, you know, there were a lot of challenges that came as a result of when the project kind of first, uh, you know, the original um, 395 was constructed. And it really, um, in, in a lot of ways, decimated the opportunity for Overtown to be a part of a bigger community there and is
0: this, yeah there's a lot of history you know when you talk there's
3: about a lot of history there with the highway people, absolutely and so there are there's an army of people that are getting involved in this project it is a beautiful project it is a hopeful project it is a complex project yeah um but we want people to know about it and we want people involved
0: and and i'm going to get to the history in a minute but dr adams I wanted to know, when did you first hear about this idea for this park? What were your first impressions?
2: Well, thank you so much for for the question and for for having us uh, have this conversation. You know, I've I've been involved since this advocacy group came together a couple of years ago. I sit on a board called the Town Square Neighborhood Development uh, Committee, and and that group um, had interest in the area that abuts the arch center uh and the bridge if you will uh finds itself in that space and uh, clearly this is a an opportunity that allows us to expand the vision of town square and in so doing this uh, this advocacy group uh developed so i've been a part of it since its inception and uh very happy to to serve as the uh chairperson for the stakeholder engagement
0: Mm. You know, because and, and Jessica talked about that history, started bringing it up. This is this is not unique to Miami. First of all, in many cities, you will see the divide between communities. And usually you'll see the uptown wealthy neighborhood. And then you have an old neighborhood, usually an older neighborhood that is more minority neighborhood. And then a highway will be built. And usually that becomes the divide. And that was 95. That was 395-95, splitting up Overtown from downtown. Now you're talking about bringing them together with a park. First, though, let me ask you this, because you've been in Overtown for decades, right? You, sure. you were born there. I was born there. Do you remember I-95 coming in in the 1960s and splitting the, the city?
2: In, in fact, I do. Um, I'm, I'm happy to share that I'm 69 years old, born in Overtown. You're in young. Young man. <laughs> hey man, I'm 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 not as young as I once was, but uh, suffice it <laughs> to say, I'm not as old as I hope to be. So I, you're uh, even more
3: fabulous than ever.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Jessica. But yeah, I remember it. My grandmother's home was was a part of the uh, what what we referred to as as urban renewal, but it turned out to be urban removal. Mm-hmm. In fact, an entire uh, community was decimated when. Uh, uh, when, when the 395-95 uh, construction took place. And uh, the impact, the negative impacts linger even until this present time. That's why this work is so important. It gives us a tremendous opportunity to, to, to maybe right or wrong. And in fact, Martin Luther King reminds us that the time is always right to do that, which is right. Now is the time. Now is indeed that, that opportunity.
0: So when you think about this park, what, what's your biggest hope, Dr. Adams, that what, what will this park undo, perhaps, that those highways did?
2: You know, I'm, I'm always uh, aspirational. I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. And, you know, truth be told, this, this is a great opportunity. You know, some things you don't get back. And, uh, you know, first bites the apple, you don't get it back. Spoken word, you, you really can't take it back. Uh, spent hours, you can't take them back. Missed opportunities. Aspirationally, this is a connector. It, it will connect historic Overtown to, to the Bay, to be, to be honest with you. It will uh, connect communities. It will symbolically create a space that speaks to this whole issue of inclusivity. It, it will speak to, to it being a place that is for, I like to say, Lottie, Dottie, and everybody, and not just those who, who live and work and play in the communities that abut uh this underdeck. By the way, that's just a placeholder of a name. It won't be called the underdeck. There's a process in place to come up with an appropriate name that oh. speaks to things like safety and, and unity and 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 peace and 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 fun and, and and happiness and 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 unity because it's not just for some of us, but indeed. For all of
0: us I, you know what that, that's a good point and and we'll get to that here in just a minute i just want to remind everyone i'm talking with dr nelson adams he's an OBGYN, uh also speaking with jessica goldman trebnik co-chair of the goldman properties and these two are working together on a, a committee designing a park connecting the neighborhoods of overtown and downtown miami that's underneath the i-395 and again all that construction is going to be this big new beautiful bridge Uh, but we're talking about what's going to go under it because a lot of times we don't think about what's underneath these bridges and underneath these, these highways, a lot of time, not much, but they're building, they have a vision for something bigger and you can find more information right now. Again, it's being called the under deck park, but as, as Dr. Adams said, there'll be another name for that. Learn more about it on our social media, WLRN sundial, Jessica, what do people downtown who've attended these meetings so far, uh, What do they want in this park? What what are some of the ideas they're throwing at you?
3: You know, so the the interesting thing is that, you know, we have been holding uh, regular meetings to inform the public about the project, you know, ways in which people can get involved. We have, you know, we have a website, um, you know, called uh, www.underdeckmiami.com. So people can go and they can see all the work that's been done to date all the work that we have ahead of us, you know, this advocacy group, you know, and all of these people, whether you are a civic leader, a business leader, a you know, philanthropic leader, whether you're a business owner, a landowner, you know, a not-for-profit, a resident, you know, we want everyone's voice represented. And so, you know, a lot of the ideas are, you know, are around, you know, you know, authenticity. They want people to feel like this is really a you know, a Miami destination. They want safety. They want, you know, public spaces for all ages, whether you are five years old, whether you have a disability, whether you are 85 years old. So, you know, it, it, it is, it's about, as Dr. Adams says, it's about connection. It's about inclusivity. I mean, if you think even just about the physical nature of what's changing, we're going from Having 800 columns underneath the bridge to 200 columns, we're going from a height of 18 feet to, in some areas, a height of 45 feet, and so I mean, so it's, that's, o- it's, opening, that's up, an, it's opening up
0: it's opening up the area a lot, a
3: hundred percent, a hundred
0: percent. Earlier though, you you mentioned some things. I want to get. I, I want to just try to picture. And may, yes. I know I know it's early, but you know, just get a picture of like, but what? You said gardens. You said some other things. What? Like, tell me what there, I'm going to see, what I'm going to walk through.
3: You're going to see a heritage trail. You're going to see p- a pedestrian bridge. You're going to see recreational spaces for all ages. You're going to see water features. You're going to see open fields and dog parks. You're going to see public art that reflects our community. Um, you're going to see... Concessions. You're going to see plazas, places for concerts. I mean, we've we've really tried to look at you know, 33 acres, a one mile stretch is a is a very big amount of space, um, and so we really tried to think about what could be best utilized for all people of all ages and and that's really what we tried to do
0: dr adams what about you what have you heard from the residents of overtown what did they want in that space what kind of things would they like to see
2: you know suffice it to say that that the the wants desires and needs of people are the same uh safety first uh, a place that that addresses the uh, generations, uh, the young, the old, want to make sure that the community uh, benefits and it not uh, is just a, 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 an appendage to uh, this area. So uh, we're expecting more street traffic in Overtown for those businesses. We, we're expecting that uh, the activities that take place uh, in this, this beautiful green space will, will not only uh, be confined to either uh, the the Arsh Center area and the downtown area or the overtown area but because we've got this beautiful pedestrian uh, bridge that's going to be in place, the connectivity piece is what really gets folk excited. so we're we're anticipating and and I don't speak just for the overtown community though that's that's been my base I was born there and my mother was born there in 1917 so I've got history there but this is truly about making this. Not only equal, but an equitable place, so that those things that that have the greatest need get the the, the most attention. And, so and, the water features, the heritage trail, the 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 legacy walls, all of those things are extremely extremely important to to the Overtown community and the greater community.
0: And as well. y- you know, Dr. Adams, I not I, I don't mean to jump in, but I, I just I wanted to know from you, you know, th- there's a deeper vision here to connect a historically black neighborhood to other parts of the Miami community, but how do you do that in a physical way?
2: You know, I think one of the things that we had to do, and and Jessica uh, was very, very much involved with making sure that this happened, there were some physical barriers to to access both sides of uh, this linear space, Uh, and it was because of the proverbial, if you will, track and, and so there were these burns, these earthen embankments that, that had to be addressed. Two of them were addressed to, to open that up so that it really does seem like a contiguous uh, green space. Uh, the, 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 the passageway over uh, these, uh, these tracks is so wide that it in fact will become a destination. There will be seating there. There will be beautiful vistas from, from that vantage point from seeing uh, the water features in the, the, the side that is traditionally over town, the water features and the green spaces that are traditionally on the downtown side. All of that connectivity is making us speak to this whole notion of unity. We really are one. And yeah. we have to make sure that this space reflects that.
0: Uh, you know, I, I'm going to throw this at both of you. Jessica, I'll start with you. How do you address the issue of, you know, folks experiencing homelessness and that space, like any park, any public space, this is a question.
3: Yeah, you know, um, I, I I, I think there are opportunities. There is the, the Chapman partnership. There are, you know, it, it's definitely something that's top of mind. I think with what's happening in the world, what's happening, um, you know, in the economy, there are, you know, people are in crisis. People are, are obviously very challenged. And. Um, and so we we that's not part of our scope, but we are certainly very aware of it and concerned about it, and we will bring in the right partners to help alleviate that issue. Mm. I, I also want to just add to something that Dr. Adams said, you know they're going to be we want to make sure that there are educational opportunities within this within this space, you know, that there are job opportunities, that there are, you know, opportunities for again, all ages. And I will say that, you know, this is a City of Miami project. This is a Florida Department of Transportation project. They are well aware, and we have been working hand in hand with both of those organizations to make sure that the community's needs are very well represented. Right. That, and yes.
0: Dr. Adams, I just, because of time, I just wanted to, your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think safety first. Uh, and one of the things that comes out repeatedly, particularly with stakeholder meetings that we've had in the Overtown community, is just that. Well, What's going to happen to, to the, the, the homeless population? Uh, we are an advocacy group. We, we really don't have the power to, to make anything happen. But when when one stick is easily broken, but many sticks when bound together can't be. So the voices of of the residents and business owners uh, of Overtown, the residents and business owners and and, and stakeholders in in the downtown community, when we come together and advocate for those things that are good for us as one people, uh, things happen. And, And so suffice it to say, we need, and this is a clarion call for those who've not been involved, who've just been On the sideline kind of wondering how they can get involved we've got a seat at the table for you but the issues of safety and unity and opportunity that is as egalitarian as possible is the aspiration of our committee
0: dr adams i mean like any project and you get more than one group involved Sometimes there's going to be a little push and pull, a little tugging here and there because everybody wants something. Has that, is, is that come up at all? Is there any
2: tension on anything? No tension. No 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 real tension. But but clearly folk are advocating from their vantage point. Uh, we, we've not had a lot of folk, folk in the Overtown meetings to talk about dog parks. We've had more on the uh, downtown and the condo community uh, talk about things like that. Uh, the, the safety features and the making sure that that the crime piece is addressed. Uh, one of the things that is so common and and it's not an uncommon topic in in Miami Dade is traffic flow. This 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 green space, if you will, crosses a number of streets yes. and and mitigating <laughs> that issue, mitigating that issue is something that that all of us have to put our heads together and make sure that. Number one, safety, and number two, that the flow uh, is there. It is a green space, not not something that is going to be uh, broken up into segment after segment after segment. That but is true. So that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, you have three, at least three or four big roads that go across that. Correct. Just Jessica, what what I mean when when you have a lot of stakeholders, I'm just wondering what the compromise process looks like. You know, has what kind of challenges uh, have come up?
3: You know, I, I think it's really important that people feel informed. I think it's really important that people feel like they have a voice and that they are heard and that we take the, you know, the things that are most important and translate that into action. And so, um, you know, I think Ms. Dr. Adams said it really perfectly. Um, yes, there will be a lot of ideas. That's that's what makes for the most wonderful of projects. It is is certainly not an easy process it is complex there are many players here but you know but i think if we all have the same goal which is to create a really really special unique inclusive um place then you know then the process of getting there is is part of the journey so you know being able to work with, you know, outstanding human beings like Dr. Adams for me makes all of the work, you know, really wonderful and worth it.
0: Let me finish with this. I want to ask both of you want to get a sense of, you know, being part of these planning committees. uh, You know, when is the park going to be done? And you mentioned name also. What are you looking at when it comes to what you're going to call it? Jessica, let's start with you.
3: So we are going through a process of uh, a a naming process. Um, It's kind of like naming a child. It's not, you know, it's, it's not easy, but um, we hope that it'll be something that really represents many people. Um, Is there a possibility
0: of naming it after somebody?
3: Probably not. Okay. Um, You know, we want it to be, you know, incredibly inclusive and not necessarily about one specific person, but. You know, that's yet to be determined, um, and we want it to be something that people are really proud of.
0: Mm. And, Dr. Adams, your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, do we get a sense, like, is it going to be done before the bridge or after the bridge?
2: You know, the, the process has begun. Uh, we've been doing uh, these stakeholder group meetings. We've had uh, several in Overtown, several in the downtown communities. Uh, we, we have done surveys, and the process continues. It's also uh, noteworthy to say that we are not trying to do this work alone. Uh, we we have actually Correct. engaged professionals to, to to help us with that process, uh, and it's and it is indeed a process. It's much like uh, I might say making sausage, and and right now we're in the sausage making <laughs> stage. So we're trying to put it all together. But when it's all said and done, it will be tasteful and tasty. And something that I think most folk are going to be very, very proud of. Right. I'm just glad to be part of, it. to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Now is a time for us to get involved and make this generational project the best that it possibly
0: it's you know what this is an exciting exciting project no doubt and uh got to have both of you back on just to talk about the progress because i know all of this is going to take time you know just like that construction it's going to take time but as you said it's worth the wait by the way our engineer did offer up a name signature park just in, you know just throwing it okay. out there throwing it well, out there well, if, I, if well, I come up with one i'll throw it at you Listen, it's in the queue now. <laughs> exactly.
3: And we will have a name before it, before the space is open. Definitely. So definitely. It's meant to be open in 2026. So, so let, not that far away.
0: Let me thank my guests again, Jessica Goldman-Shrubnick and Dr. Nelson Adams. Again, we'll have you back on. There's a lot to talk about here. Thank you so, so much.
3: Thank you you very much. much. Thank Thank
0: you. And again, you can follow more on this story on our social media at WLRN Sundial. Well, still to come, we're going to meet one of the Florida Keys' last veterinarians. And what's he doing in his retirement? Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN. All right, so imagine a couple walking into your office. And by the way, for this story, you're a veterinarian. They put a large iguana on the table, and then the woman is kissing it and talking to it, kind of like, you know, the way some people talk to their dog or cat. And then they look at you and they say, something's wrong with our baby. That is part of the life of retired veterinarian Douglas Mater. He has spent uh, the early part of his career as a veterinarian in Los Angeles, then came and opened up an office in the Middle Keys. Today, he's retired, and one of the things he's doing is writing. His first book is out. It's called The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. By the way, you may recognize Douglas because we spoke with him four years ago on the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Irma. Uh, His veterinary hospital became like an important shelter and one of the few on all of the islands. A lot of people depended on him. Douglas, it is great to talk to you again.
4: Lewis, thank you so much for having me back. It's, it's always good to speak with you. Oh, definitely. You you didn't retire that long ago, right? I sold the practice, but I haven't retired. I'm just um, doing wildlife work. I do a lot of the key deer work now for the refuge. I've got uh, several alligator farms and lots of tourist attractions, like some zoos and aquariums that I'm working with, but no more dogs and cats. So <laughs> just uh, the big stuff and the writing.
0: I know there are a lot of people who've got to be upset of, of, about that. By the way, just to mention, too, because when we talked to you for the Irma story, I mean, you had lost your home, but it's rebuilt now.
4: Yeah, it, it took a while. <laughs> Quite a bit of um, angst with the <laughs> insurance companies, but we finally got everything settled, and then we rebuilt the house on the same lot. But it's, so but they-
0: no, it's so great to hear that. I wanted to know what. why did you want to be a veterinarian in the first
4: place? You know, um, I've always liked medicine. And when I was young and growing up, uh, I wanted to be an MD. And then I got involved working with horses and got a job. I, I went to blacksmithing college and became a farrier. So I was shoeing horses. And I realized what a difference I could make to these horses that were lame and, and having trouble with their feet. And I got to work with a really amazing veterinarian. And I realized, you know what, I can combine my medical desire with horses and become a horse doctor. So that was my original plan as I had wanted to go to veterinary school and become an equine surgeon. And then I got run over by a drunken driver uh, when I was in graduate school. And that kind of put a kibosh on the equine work. And I switched over to exotic animals and small animals. And your, your first practice was in Los Angeles. It was just on the outskirts of Los Angeles uh, near the port of long beach. And it was, kind of right on the cusp of a really bad part of town. It was interesting because George Duke Majin, who at the time was the governor of California, him and his wife were clients. We had multimillion dollar homes, three or four blocks in one direction. And then we had the slums in the other direction where people could barely afford to put shoes on their children's feet. So and, it was kind of an interesting, very interesting location.
0: And this was, uh, you had moved in there, what? This was in the eighties, right?
4: Uh, no, we moved there in, uh, yes, it was. It was 89.
0: Okay. And how long were you in that office, in that space?
4: Um, I was there for about nine years. Um, I ended up leaving around 80, oh, excuse me, 97, somewhere around there.
0: What brought you to, to the Florida Keys?
4: I was born here. <laughs> um, you had to come back, back home. In and uh, just to check it out and fell in love with it again. And the people are wonderful. The environment's wonderful. I love the animals. Um, You know, I look out and I see deer. I see eagles. I see it's just an incredible place to live. And everybody's so friendly. And even though we have things like hurricanes, you know, you know they're coming, you prepare for them. Um, It's just an amazing place to live. And it's a great place to write now. I can sit down and look out the window at the ocean and just concentrate on writing.
0: Oh, I remember when I when I talked to you and and the area you live and and the view you have, is absolutely uh, amazing. This book again, the vet at Noah's Ark, is so funny and you know just I love all the little stories of your experiences. Now this is your time when you were in L.A., uh, running your office and the kind of, the kind of people who would come in. And the kind of animals that you cared for. Um, you know, I wonder, you, you mentioned from time to time you'd even meet celebrities. Not often, but sometimes you'd meet their pets for sure. How often did that happen?
4: You know, it was interesting. When I first started, the, the whole book is about um, the story arc is about me studying for my first set of specialty boards, which is kind of the whole, holy grail in veterinary medicine. Um, so when I first started, I had a few celebrity type clients, but once I passed the boards, which is what the book is about, it's all about the human-animal bond, and me trying to study for this arduous test, and at the same time, take care of all of these pets that need to be taken care of in the inner city, plus the wildlife of the inner city. Um, Once I passed my boards and became a specialist, boy, my celebrity clientele blossomed, and uh, (laughs) I got to see quite a few interesting people. Um, I can't mention names for privacy's sake, but um, some of them are fairly famous singers. Uh, I think one wore only one glove. I can't remember exactly his name, uh, <laughs> but I think you get an idea.
0: You know what? It, it, did you, because I know that in the book you, you mentioned, you're not sure if it's the real one. Did you work on Spuds McKenzie, the, the dog that with the mascot of Bud Light?
4: You know, I think so, because... <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> The, the the person who brought it in was, uh, I, I, he was the owner. Um, the dog sure looked like Spuds McKenzie and then not to uh, steal the thunder from the book, but when he got better, uh, the Spudettes which are his cheerleaders came in with gifts and pictures <laughs> and autographs for the entire staff. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it was him, you, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if there wasn't more than one.
0: Yeah. No, you know what? I mean, there's all these little stories like that and, you know, some of the different animals that you worked on, from snakes and li- a lizard that somebody, a couple came in, didn't even know the gender of their lizard. Uh, skunk, you worked on, <laughs> you know, you've worked with so many different animals. It did, I mean, considering all the different types of animals, was there ever any one story that stood out to you?
4: Oh, I, I. I think the skunk was a pretty interesting story because, number one, it was a skunk. Number two, it belonged to an heir from the Charlie Perfume family. Um, So here's a woman whose entire wealth came about because of, you know, great aromas and perfumes. And yet she has a pet skunk. And then she was so generous and, and just an incredibly wonderful woman. Uh, we were able to save her skunk's life and I had multiple veterinary students going through my hospital. She fell in love with the vet student that was in charge of her skunk's care. And then she offered to pay for the vet student's books throughout her career. Wow. So, I mean, just some of the stuff, you know, the really good stuff, Louis, she can't make up. And uh, that's the whole point of the the book is to share the human animal bond stories, whether it was the owner with her skunk or um, there's a story about a fox that was injured at a country club um, and how the community rallied around to save the, the fox's life. And granted, that's not a pet. There's still a human-animal bond there. And I, it just goes to show you how important animals are to everybody.
0: And what an, that was an interesting story because there was a question of how to save the life of this fox and a question of amputation. I won't say anything else. Read the book. When you moved to the Keys, did you find that people here back home where you were born uh, how they treated their pets their relationship with their pets was it any different than people out west
4: no you know it's that's a really good question i think the human animal bond is it just goes around the world and regardless of where you live or what language you speak or what religion you practice that relationship that we have with animals whether it's a pet kitten a fish in a tank um or a golden eagle flying by you know, it, it's just, it it, it, it kind of goes beyond words. And, um, you know, where I, when I lived in the the inner city, people didn't have a lot of money. And sadly, when I moved to the Keys, you know, the, what do they say? 98% of the people work for 2% of the people. And it was 98% of the people really struggle sometimes because it's an expensive place to live, but they always manage to put their pets first. And even people that can't afford their own medicine will take care of their animals. It's really impressive. Do you
0: miss it? I mean, I know you're still involved. I'm not saying that, you know, you're not sitting around just granted, glad that you're writing now and and looking forward to more work, but you know, that day to day, do you miss it?
4: I do. I do. I miss the surgery. I miss the, um, you know, the patients. I miss the clients. I miss that interaction. What I don't miss in today's day and age is running a business anymore. You know, at the (laughs) peak of our, our career, we had 10 full time doctors, over 40 employees. Um, and now, post Hurricane Irma, when we lost so much housing down here in the Keys, and then COVID, when more people left, it, it's a challenge to run a business here in the Keys and pretty much anywhere in the United States. So, but, but
0: aren't you, I don't you, you miss
4: that you, part of it? But I do miss the human animal bond and working with the clients and their pets.
0: You were one of the few, like, because after Irma, the, you had people all up and down the island chain calling you like you're one of the
4: few out there. Well, we were lucky because we had just built that hospital. It was Mm. only four years old and it was designed for a cat five. So even though my house was literally completely washed away into the Gulf of Mexico and everything we owned, the hospital was still intact. And so about half of my staff moved into the hospital for Mm. several months. And uh, we were the only ones we had a full, you know, everything was up and running backup generators uh, we were even acting as a triage unit for the human hospital because Fisherman's Hospital was destroyed. So yeah, we kept pretty busy right after the storm.
0: Douglas, again, the stories are so much fun. the The book again is called "The Vet at Noah's Ark: Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital." Check it out out now. Um, Douglas, I, I can't wait to to get back with you because we're going to be coming out to the Keys again. This is the fifth year anniversary of of Irma such a pleasure and i'm glad that you're doing well
4: thanks lewis and you're always welcome to come on down and i'll show you around there's uh, a lot that's changed and sadly there's a lot that hasn't since the storm so good to see you again
0: again veterinarian dr douglas mater not totally retired but uh, that's our program for this tuesday june 28th coming up tomorrow on the show uh, we're going to be talking about the Frost Museum, Science Museum, celebrating five years at the site by the water. We got to the chance to go out there, and we're going to talk about some of the new cool exhibits they have and what they have planned for the future. I'm Luis Hernandez. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Take care of each other. The program is made possible in part by support from Miami Cancer Institute. WLRN Public Media.